Yes, hello and welcome. Wow, I feel like in a TED talk. Finally, I can do it. Um, yeah, I'm very happy to be here. My name is Anne, Anne Kauen, and I'm Professor of Media Communication Studies, and I study digital welfare. And normally I would also go through, you know, projects and the theoretical background and the methods and so on, but I think I would like to start with scenes from my research that make very tangible what I've been encountering during the past years, studying digital, digital welfare from a citizen's perspective. And a citizen's perspective is here to take the uh, approach or the point of view of the people who are implied in digital infrastructures, but that rarely get to decide on how the infrastructure looks like, that are rarely involved in design processes or the implementation itself, but that have to live with them, that have to deal with them. Uh, there's no opt-out of certain digital platforms in the welfare state, as you all might know. Um, but let's get started with the scenes. The first scene is set at the public library. A man has been sitting at one of the working stations for approximately 30 minutes and has been desperately trying uh, to work on the computer. After a while, or this 30 minutes being there, he gets increasingly um, angry but also desperate. So he decides to go to the info desk and ask the librarian for help. He walks over, over and says, I need help. I need to submit a form to the employment services and I just can't get the platform to work. The librarian hesitates and exhales and walks with him to the working station and says, it's probably your bank ID. It's always the bank ID. That's the problem. And most Swedes in this room would know what the bank ID is. You use it several times every day to identify yourselves in all kinds of digital uh, infrastructures. The next scene uh, is set at um, the Welfare Service Center. It should be here. It's set at the Welfare Service Center. A woman is sitting in the wa waiting area and is patiently waiting for a number to be called. After 10 minutes, a service worker comes into the waiting area looking at a smartphone and calling her number. So she walks over to her and the service worker is wearing a t-shirt reading E-Days, do yourself an E-Favor. Um, they together walk over to a high desk with a stationary computer and the service uh, employee, the service worker asks, what do you need help with? And the woman explains that she has received a letter concerning child benefits. And she has to provide some additional uh, information about her employer and salary information. But she just can't get the application and the platform to work and submit these documents. The uh, service worker unlocks the computer and leaves it over to the woman. She has to find her way and click through the pages herself. Digital help to self-help is the motto of the welfare service centers these days. The last scene is set at the jail. A man in his 40s has been waiting for his trial for eight months. He has been placed in solitary confinement 
by the persecutor, which means that he's not meeting anybody else but his lawyer and maybe people from the Red Cross who are volunteering at the jail. No family members, no friends um, are able to visit him during this time. And he has one other designated incarcerated person that he can sit with for three hours a day. He has been sleeping bad from the very first day he entered the jail. And after a couple of months, he asked for help explaining his situation, that he's sleeping really, really badly and that he would like to get some medical help. The next day, one of the employees walks over to him and hands him a Fitbit. You're going to wear the Fitbit for the next week and then we will see what help you will need. After the week, the man is surprised to get the results because the Fitbit says that he has slept exceptionally well. In this moment, he feels the exhaustion of the last months running through his body. So these are scenes that I've encountered in my research in the past couple of years in this way or in slightly different ways. But they also, and they make really visible for me what uh, institutions and our encounters with institutions might mean. And I've been looking mainly into marginal places and spaces that not all of us are constantly encountering. I don't know how many of you have been at welfare service centers or at public libraries to use the computer stations. I guess none of us have been at a jail waiting for eight months to get the trial. So these are places that maybe not so many of us encounter all the time, they're marginal and maybe not in the forefront when we think of new ways of organizing digital welfare. But for me, and the problems that we see there, the problems of navigating a digital platform, of navigating what kind of forms and documentation to submit, but also the device that tells us something about the body that we feel very differently. They tell us something about frictions in our interactions with digital infrastructures that are very mundane and that are in a way also universally experienced by all of us. Although these specific ones, the situated ones that I told you about just now, um, are not our own experiences. But let's start with the idea of welfare itself. Why am I interested in, in welfare? So welfare is a key word in modern society according to Raymond Williams. It was firstly indicated, it indicated something like happiness and prosperity. And the idea of organized welfare only came in much later in the 20th century. And the welfare state itself was only mentioned during the Second World War in this kind of double crisis of economy and, and war that the world was experiencing. So it's this idea of providing for basic needs um, for all in, in uh, a state. It's built on normative ideas of universalism, equality, and decommodification. Based on these principles, arguments for the welfare state are put forward that the welfare state should enhance social cohesion as well as balancing risk uh, while preserving human dignity. So there's one kind of basic understanding of welfare that is providing for basic needs, maybe uh, the most um, 
basic one of, of defining welfare as a principle, but there are also more ambitious outlooks, namely, namely to enable everyone according to their capabilities and to promote measures for human flourishing that go beyond basic needs. And in our days, digitalization and datafication are, is increasingly entangled with the possibilities to provide for welfare. And the sociologist Marion Forcate, for example, in this context reconsiders the relationship or what we could call the social contract between citizens and the welfare state that is increasingly mediated by digital data and technologies for algorithmic automation. So it's also this kind of relationship that is changing through digital infrastructures. And hence, the flourishing of all is increasingly depending and intermingled with the digital, with digital data, infrastructures, and algorithmic automation. But this shift, and I hope the scenes that I introduced in the beginning are an illustration of it, this doesn't happen without frictions. So this is what takes me into this idea of digital frictions in the context of welfare provision. So what are frictions then? According to the dictionary, friction is a force that makes it difficult for one object to slide along the surface of another one, or to move through liquid and gas. Or as the anthropologist, Anna Tsing, who was already mentioned in the introduction, puts it, friction emerges where the rubber hits the road. And Mina Ruckenstein highlights that the notion of friction is also used by engineers and by designers, while they seek to develop perfect human machine loops, frictions are to be uh, diminished. It should be a smooth interaction between man and machine. The main goal is frictionless living. For Singh and Rückenstein, friction is not a tech dream, not only, but also a societal attuned and resilient notion, which I would like to invoke here. Singh and Ruckenstein argue further that frictions make connections influential and effective. Frictions, when we experience them, they make something important. They make the experience stick, even if it's uncomfortable. But they always get in the way of smooth operations of global power. They make us stop for a moment and maybe question current circumstances. Frictions highlight and make visible inequalities, debunk the well-oiled machine as incapable. Frictions reveal links between universally appealing goals, processes of power, and locally rooted aims and practices. My stories illustrate the smooth, frictionless interaction of the digital welfare state are an imaginary, and they are rarely the case, the frictionless welfare state. Even with new methods of designing digital tools, frictions remain, and they will remain in the future. So what do we do with this then? Is the solution to develop better platforms, to improve digital skills among citizens, to have better applications, better design, Will there ever be a smooth digital welfare state? Is this what we uh, should strive for? 
The marginal places that I've visited and continue to visit as part of my research have made clear for me that digital frictions make inequalities, power relations, but also mundane ways of relating to uh, uh, technology, uh, technological systems visible. And instead of maybe striving for the perfect digital welfare machine, we need to embrace and sit with the inconvenience of frictions, the ambivalence and uh, the problems that emerge with them. And as Mina Brukenstein argues, and I would like to quote her, uh, her verbatim, the ambivalence of that accompanies reactions to corporate users of personal data calls for approaches that do not try to smooth tensions away but can comfortably address the contradictions and balancing acts involved. So in that sense, even with digital tools, life will never be a smooth ride. We need to address and sit with the inconvenience of frictions. Instead of aiming for the perfectly smooth welfare machine, we collectively need to imagine a system of welfare that provides for all according to their needs and capabilities. Digital tools might be part of this process, of finding out what and how to do um, this kind of uh, provision of welfare according to needs and capabilities. But the digital tools should never be the starting point. That's it.